Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? We have a lot going on today, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time with announcements and all that kind of jazz. We're going to get right into the message. Uh, But I do want to say welcome because you could have been anywhere else, but you're here today. And that is an honor for us to be a part of your Sunday. And so we've been in this series called Choose Wisely. And as we've been looking at it, we've been looking at Solomon in the letter that he wrote to his son about choosing wisely, making wise choices. And I've been saying this every week that if there's ever been a time in the course of history that we need to make wise choices, it's just not good or better or good or bad. It's better or best. What is the best decision? for our lives. Um, this week we're going to talk about, and it's probably not going to relate to anybody in this room or, or probably anybody down in Sherwood. I don't even know why I'm speaking this message today, to be quite honest with you, because it's not going to make any sense to anybody. Like, Because nobody in this room has ever had a conflict with another human being, right? And so like, you've never gotten an argument with your wife or with your, with your kids or your, your boss or anybody like that. So it, it, maybe the one person is just watching online from some foreign country. Maybe that's, you know, like, I'll just speak to you today. Uh, but truth of the matter is, I said a couple of weeks ago, I said, it's not when you engage with people, when tensions are high and feelings are hurt. It's not when, it's, it's how. Because everybody's going to engage in those moments. I had a conversation with somebody this past week. I was out to lunch one day. Actually, it was two weeks ago. I was out to lunch. And I made a comment because I knew the tensions were high and there was going to be some struggles and there was going to be some opposing opinions. And this is what I said to the person. I said, listen, I have a, I have a goal in this whole conversation. Here's the, I, this is what I want to have happen. I want you to understand that I'm not coming to the table thinking I know everything. Like I am not, like, I am not the end-all be-all to this conversation. As a matter of fact, I'm coming to the table and I've been asking God to teach me something. If there's something, God, that you want me to learn through this conversation, I want you, by all means, I want you to work in my life. Man, could you imagine if we all had that mentality going into a crisis or a conflict? And the last one was this, and it was just, this was probably the most important one. I specifically told him, I don't care what your view is of this situation. I want you to know when I walk away from this table, we're still going to be friends. We're still going to be people that have a conversation because right now, I don't care what you say, there's somebody with an opposing opinion. And I would almost guarantee you on some of the major whatever issues you want to put in that little blank, there's 50% that are on one side in this church, 50% are on the other side. And it would be very easy to get an argument and never speak to each other. And so I don't care what you do in life. I don't care what your work experience is. I don't care if you go outside and work or work inside. At some point, you will have a conflict with somebody in your life, right? So if that's the case, how do we manage that? How do we manage those conflicts, those problems, those issues? And conflict, can I just say this? Conflict doesn't need to escalate to the boiling point every time two people get together. But for some reason, we think that that's what has to happen, that it's got to steam and it's got to be World War III. And you've got to hear my point of view. And the louder I get, the more important my, you know, and all that stuff. And I'm telling you today, I want to break all those myths all the myths about conflict and how we can do it. So regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you know, conflict is in your life right now, I want you to know that today you will, honestly, outside of my intro, you will get something out of today. Our baseline, Caleb talked about this. Every week we've been using the baseline, a passage from the book of Proverbs. And today is this, Proverbs chapter 20, verse three. I would love to see a bunch of people put this on social media because I love what this passage says. This is what it says. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but... Every fool will be quarreling, will be quarreling. So it's a loop. Now you're going, we don't use that word in the English language very often. We don't. 
aloof. I've never used it in a conversation with anybody I've ever talked to. I've never talked to my wife and said, today I'm aloof, right? You've never talked to your kids, today you're aloof. Because the way we do use it in our country is kind of like it's a nonchalant, but that's not what it means. Actually, the word aloof means this. It means to avoid or to stay away from strife, to avoid it. So with that context, it's an honor for a man to stay away from strife. It's, it's an honor for a man to, to stay clear of it, to not be engaged in strife. Now, some of you are going to well, that, you know, it's part of life is being engaged in that. And that's exactly right. Um, but, but, but I want you to, like, there's going to be times, but you're much better off as a human being not engaging in those, those areas that bring strife. That means I don't have to, every time somebody posts something on Facebook or Instagram, I don't have to have a rebuttal to it. As a matter of fact, it's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to be called a fool. Then there are fighting words. We, we, we will throw down, you walk up to me and call me a fool. But I'd rather be a person that's wise, and I'd rather be a person that chooses wisely how I handle things. So when we're talking about this conflict, it could be spoken word, or it can be written word, or it could be typed out words. So today we're going to look at three ways real quick that we can handle conflict. And some of these ideas will help us avoid it, but here's the deal. Some of them are going to help us get out of it. Like when we're in, engaged in that conflict, how we can get out. And I'm going to do this something, I'm going to do a little something different today. I want to ask three questions. And I want to give a sec, just a second or two after I ask each question for you just to think through your answers. And then as we kind of unpack it, that'll help us understand a little bit more. So here's the first thing. And it's the first question I think that we need to ask ourselves. Would it be best for me in this conflict or this situation to delay this discussion? Now, nobody in this room is liking that, 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 that question right there. Like delay? Well, how are they going to know my opinion if I delay? How are they going to know I'm right if I delay? Um, W.C. Fields, some of you people that are my age and older probably remember W.C. Fields was a comedian. I love what he said in one of his books. He said, I don't have to attend every argument I'm invited to. That's good right there. That could be in the, maybe it is in the Bible. I don't have to attend every argument. It's interesting. Um, some of you know this. If you don't, if you're new to Journey, I'm a recovering youth pastor. <clears throat> we don't have a 12-step program yet for that, but there's a lot of us in this church. And so one of the things that happened years ago, I was at a camp, and we used to have to do camps, and not have to, we used to get to do camps. Um, now, if you're in student ministry, sometimes you've got to do camps, especially middle school camps. Have you ever been around 200 middle school students? Ever, at the same time, unless you're a teacher, and then you get small doses, you get 25 or 30, and then you throw them away. I mean, you, they could go to another classroom. So um, my friend was speaking at this camp, and I was participating in this camp, and my friend was speaking, and he asked all the leaders, he said, do me a huge favor. He said, when I get up to speak, I want your undivided attention because I believe that you are going to demonstrate to your students how we're supposed to respond when God's word is being taught. And he said, listen, I, I need you to engage. And then what I want you to do is I want you to engage the students as we get done. Um, I want, want to have some time, small group, and I want you to make sure that you know. So here's the, here's the notes for the message, and, and this is what I want you to do. He said, he gets up there, and if you've ever done any type of community, if you've ever done this before, when people shut their eyes, you want to go wake their eyes up. Amen. Or if they're talking amongst themselves or doing this, you want to throw something at them. And so and students, I mean, they just naturally do that. And so he's talking, and, he, and two leaders, as a matter of fact, one of the leaders was faced the other direction, facing away, and all he could see the back, it was the back of his head. 
for 35 or 40 minutes while he's communicating, he's communicating in the back and he is steaming. And I can tell something's going on. He's struggling with his words. He's struggling with context. He's struggling with every time he reads, he's looking right at this person. Just he wants to say, turn around, but he, he never says it. He has this in mind while he's praying. He's close, doing closing prayer. He goes, as soon as I walk off the stage, I'm running to that person. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Well, something happens and he doesn't get a chance to go over there. He said, but the next morning he wakes up and he goes, I'm telling you, I'm going to give this guy, I'm going to give everything he deserves because he was disrespectful for me. At the meeting, they had a meeting every time they got done, uh, got ready to do uh, another session. And one of the guys goes up and he goes, hey, I just want to apologize to everybody. He was the guy that was turned around. He goes, I want to apologize to everybody. I was very distracted. I was trying to get some counsel. My best friend got killed in a car accident or I'm, I'm sorry, it was a hunting accident, got killed in a hunting accident about an hour before the service. And I was trying to figure everything out. My buddy told me he felt this big because he was going to blast this guy for everything. And then he said, you know something? I learned something very valuable that day. First of all, I don't have to rush to every argument. Sometimes it's best that I just kind of step back and gather some more information. And he didn't have all the information. Think about some of the conflict that you've had in your life. Have you gathered all the information? When someone makes us mad, we have a tendency just to blast them out of the water. And you know what? The world has told us to do that. The world has told us if you hold it in, you're wrong. If you hold it in, it'll, it'll blow up one day. And I'm telling you, I think sometimes, and this is what I've learned, it's not hypocritical to hold it in. Sometimes it's holy. Sometimes it's actually being more like Jesus. When Jesus was in front of Pontius Pilate and they're throwing accusations, he doesn't say a word other than this. He goes, it is exactly how you say it is. That was his response. He could have called down chariots. He could have called down angels, but he realized that that wasn't the most important thing. And so I've learned that. I've also learned by experience that blasting people right away never works. Uh, Just, I'm gonna be honest with you. It makes you feel better though, doesn't it? Okay, we are either a bunch of liars or that hits so close to home that we, we don't even want to acknowledge it. When we engage in conflict with our spouse, we engage in conflict with our children or our parents, we engage in conflict with our boss, whoever, it makes us feel good initially, but at some point, it's just the opposite. James chapter one, verse 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Just delaying it, just delaying a little bit. And I've learned that that works. I've also learned that you can't hold it in forever, that at some point you have to have that conversation. I love the way... um, James McDowell used to say this, um, or Josh McDowell, he used to say this. He said, use a 20-second rule or a 30-second rule or a 10-minute rule when, when, when disciplining your children because you don't want to discipline out of anger. God never disciplines us out of anger. He disciplines us out of love. And so just delay it for 10 minutes. And I've also learned this, that before I blow up in anger at some point or someone, I need to give myself some time. I know me. Anybody else know? Not me, me, you. Do you know you? Proverbs 12, 16. And I love this. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. There's another word we don't use every day, right? So here's the definition. This is what it means. The state of being annoyed, frustrated, or worried. There's a state. There's actually a state of mind where we're in that. And God's saying through his word, through this, choose, this you know, Proverbs, he's saying, slow down, back up a little bit, gather all the information. See, what it does is it allows me to evaluate the situation, gather the information, and determine whether it's really worth engaging. Here's what. Maybe after thinking it over, you realize that you overreacted. 
Anybody ever done that? Yeah, sure you did. Maybe you discover through this process of slowing down that you didn't have all the facts. How important is that? How important is it to have all the facts before you go into some type of conflict? Maybe you discover that things weren't the way they seemed to be. Maybe you're outside peripheral, you know, not being in proximity. You didn't understand the whole situation. And maybe waiting, waiting just a few moments will save you from having to apologize later. And I think about that all the time. This is what Proverbs 14, 17 says. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hatred. Um, Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We all know people like that, don't we? That's all they're worried about is expressing their opinion. So that's the first question. The first question we have to answer, and I think it's an important one, is would it be best for me just to delay this discussion, 10 minutes, maybe a day, maybe a week or so, whatever it is, would it be okay for me to do that? And would it be profitable to restore that relationship that God wants us to have? Here's the second thing. Is there a way to say what I need to say gently and firmly? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about choosing our words wisely. We talked about how, how sometimes we have to, there's, there's moments, there's critical conversations that have, but it's important. And what do our parents used to say? And my dad used to say this all my, I mean, my dad's in the atrium over there. He used to say, Bobby, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so maybe we need to choose a different way of saying it. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict in a peaceful, a peaceful manner or means. So it's not, peace doesn't mean there's no conflict. We're going to be, we're going to have it. It's how I handle that and what it looks like in the midst of it. A few years ago, there was a TV show. And um, what it was about, it was putting um, cameras in people's houses. And it would, it would, it would just, it would, it would show every little action and everything they did. And, and they went to, to parents that, that thought that it was, it was the best way of raising a kid to scream and yell at their kids. Now, I don't know what environments you were in growing up or how your environment, but I can tell you screaming and yelling doesn't work at all. But what they did was they put these cameras and they were viewing all these different families. And they, there was this one lady, and I was watching it this, uh, a couple weeks ago, there was this one lady that thought that, 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 that the louder she got, the more, the more influence that she had. And so she would scream and scream and louder and louder and louder and louder. And you know what eventually happened with those kids? They stopped listening altogether. They didn't care. They just, they, they tuned her out. And you know what I'm realizing? The less power you have, the louder you get. That's in almost every aspect of life. The less power you have, the louder you feel. You feel like you have to, listen, um, anybody know who Dave, Dave Ramsey is? Dave Ramsey talks about it like this. When people, debtors, uh, uh, the people are calling to get your money that you owe them and haven't you know, paid them in years or whatever that case may be, they're actually trained to insult you. They're actually trained to talk down to you because that's the only way they have real power is by talking down to you. I've known coaches, I've known teachers, and unfortunately, I've known pastors that do it. We shouldn't have to raise our voice to get our point across. We shouldn't have to yell and scream and degrade to tell our kids or the people around us what we're trying to explain to them, what we're trying to say, what we're trying to look. Um, anybody have an old car that they ride around in? Like an old classic car? Anybody? Chris Peebler has one. I know you guys. Are. So do you all remember? You guys probably don't remember this unless you had an old car. I had a 65 Chevelle. And um, it, was, it was a cool car, but it had a radio in it, like a radio that had an a, a, a indicator that would go back and forth. Y'all remember those? 
So it didn't have all this, like, my, my truck right now, in 2015, 16, whatever it is, I have all my controls around my, my, like, I can change stations, I can change volume. That's pretty cool, right? I can, I can talk to somebody, I can, I can go, hey, Siri, and I can do that all for my, all for my, but the old days, you used to have to turn a knob. And you know what else you had to turn a knob for? The volume. You ever get in somebody's car and it's so loud you can't even think? And I'm already hard of hearing, right? And my wife says I have selective hearing, but it's just from loud music here. At, no, I mean, it's from loud music, Bon Jovi and all them, and shooting guns and all that kind of jazz. But you know what? Just like, and I, I used to do this. I would get in some people's car and I would turn the volume down. You know what you can do in your house? You can turn the volume down. You set the tone. I set the tone for the volume in, our, in my house. If it's going to be a loud environment, it's going to be a lot of yelling and fighting and arguing, I'm turning that up, but you can turn it back down. How, how, how your kids, how your wife, how respond sometimes just to the volume. When you have conflict, with another, you don't have to put volume in it. You don't have to put more heat in the words. Just say what you need to say gently and firm. Proverbs chapter 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Like he doesn't have to yell and scream. He could just say the words. I've seen this happen in all different areas. I've seen the wrong way. Every, probably most people in this room have done it. We yell and scream. We make sarcastic remarks, right? We call them names. We, we, we say all kinds of different things. We make empty threats and we get nothing, nothing resolved. Whenever you're attempt, attempting to resolve conflict, this is what I believe, with someone, you need to say it gently and say it firmly. Don't call them names. Don't say anything that's going to come back and destroy a friendship. Don't make threats. Just say. Proverbs 15.1 says it like this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's the last one today. And this is probably the most important one. What is your ultimate goal? Ask yourself that question. What is the ultimate goal? Anytime I have conflict with somebody, and I've done it in my office, I've done it in my personal life, I literally will call people into my office and go, here's, here's what I feel. I have a short-term goal and a long-term goal. The long-term goal is I hope that both, both sides, both of us can say these things and still love each other at the end. And my long-term goal is always, I hope we can break bread together one day. I hope somehow or another we can still be friends. If we were really good friends and we would go eat and play golf or whatever it was, I hope we can get back to that point right there because that's really, really, really important to me. What's your goal? When you're in conflict with somebody, is it to be right? Because that's a bad goal, isn't it? Every time I've thought I'm, I'm going into a situation and I think I'm right, you know what? I've come out realizing that I was wrong a little bit. I've said this for years. There's always three sides to a story, isn't there? There's that one, that one, and the truth. Somehow or another, that's the goal. Your ultimate goal, my ultimate goal should be to find a solution. I love the way Wayne Dyer said, he says, conflict cannot survive without your participation. It can't survive without you getting involved. Kathy Ladman said this, my parents had only one argument in 43 years. It lasted 43 years. <laughs> What's the ultimate goal? Is it, is it to find a solution? And what I'm finding out in our culture, and what a cool idea it would be is if we were different than the culture, I'm thinking about Romans right now where it says, that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're different than the world. We don't think like the world. That maybe, just maybe, if we would back up a little bit and, and didn't act like the world, that maybe some of the stuff that goes on social media or the conflicts, that somehow or another we could, we could at least delete some of them. 
Think of a conflict right now that you've been involved with. Just think about it for a second. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it led to a divorce. Maybe it's with a kid and trust has been broken. Maybe it was with a boss. Maybe you lost Maybe you lost a job. Or maybe you had to fire somebody because of a conflict. Think about the just the ins and outs of that conflict. What did it look like? Did you find yourself having the same argument again and again day after day? Was it the same thing over? Did you just rehash that whole thing over and over again? Did you find yourself repeatedly telling somebody or repeatedly being told everything that was wrong in that relationship, yet nothing ever got fixed? That's not, that's not conflict management. That's not resolution. That's not having, having a goal in mind. People want to go on, and I know people, they want to go on and on and on about the problem, but they don't want to work toward finding a solution. Here, here's, a, here's a rule of thumb that I think would help all of this. I know it's helped me. Spend less time rehashing the problem and more time discussing how we can make things right. Yep, you got to deal with the problem. There's a problem, right? Doing the same thing over and over again. What is it? It's insanity. We know what it is, so we're not going to do that. But let's figure out what a solution is. If you want to resolve the conflict in your life, you have to have a solution and you have to have an, an ultimate goal. And what's that goal? You have to be willing to stop dwelling on the problem. I was sitting and I was thinking about this this past week. Years ago, I had a couple in my, in my office. I, I'm, I don't do nearly as much marriage counseling as I used to, but used to do a lot when we first started journey. And there was a couple sitting in my office and the husband admittedly had a spending problem. Like he would spend money like crazy, just hand over like, and, and it, was, it was out of control. Shoes and, and hats and, and golf clubs and guns and everything that he, could, he, he bought. Well, there was resentment in that, in that, in that marriage. And, and it was interesting because I remember walking through the process with him. And one of the things that he did, I was, we were so proud of him, is he, he stopped it. He, he had turned, the Bible calls it repenting. He turned away from what he was doing and he went another direction. Well, isn't that the ultimate goal, right? But years and years and years afterward, every time something would happen, the wife would bring it up again. Like, do you remember when? Do you remember when? Do you remember? And you know what eventually happens when you hear that enough? You start resenting that person and you may go back to that way. We were sitting in my office and it was a couple years afterwards. And I turned to her and I said, listen, we've been friends a long time and I'm going to say something. And I hope that you still love me after I say this, but you haven't forgiven him. Well, yes, I have. And I said, no, no, if you forgave him, you'd never bring it up again. And the truth of the matter is he's never gone back to those habits. You know, she realized that day she had never forgiven him. And she had to go back and she wrote letters and, and, and they talked and they went through therapy and they went all kinds of things because she realized that she was holding that relationship back. Now, a really cool thing, they're going to another church now. It's outside of our city. They're actually doing marriage counseling. They actually do marriage counseling. And not because of me, because I'm not really good at it. It's because they finally realized what forgiveness looked like. And finally said, you know something? The ultimate solution is to be, to, to, to be forgiven. The ultimate solution is to restore this relationship back to where it was. See, what has to happen is, first of all, there has to be a change of behavior in the conflict. And at some point, somebody's going to have to change the way they feel about the behavior, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, there's two people or three people or how many, and somebody's going to have to change their behavior and somebody's going to have to understand that they're going to have to be willing to accept the new behavior, Proverbs 15.8 says that, or 15.18, hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he was slow to anger, quiets contention. That's the kind of person I want to be right there. Hey, can I, can I throw something out real quick? We're going to have a great time in a minute of baptism. I think we've got five or six people being baptized. I love, it's my favorite thing. But what I've learned in whole thing of conflict 
And a lot of us in this room would say that we're spiritually mature or we're at least in process of becoming spiritually mature, right? None of us has arrived, but this is what I've learned. Spiritually mature people aren't interested in keeping conflict alive. Did you hear me on that? Spiritually mature people are not wanting to keep conflict alive. And you know why it is? Because they realize that the ultimate conflict that they had has been resolved. And if we're going to be like you, we sang a song in the beginning of the service. We sang a song about being more like Jesus. We are never more like Jesus than when in the midst of conflict, we take the back seat and we offer forgiveness. We're never more like Jesus. It's the demonstration. It's what he did for us. Romans chapter 510. Maybe you've heard this passage before. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. When I was far away, I was in conflict with the heavenly father, but he still went to the cross for me by death of the son, so much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. We, we demonstrate what Jesus did to us or for us when we resolve conflict, when we're, we're part of that. I, I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 432. This is how we're supposed to be to each other. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave who? You. We offer forgiveness because we were offered forgiveness. We give grace because we were offered grace. We have patience because we were given patience. How many times have we failed? And he never one time brings it back up, does he? As a matter of fact, he says he cast it as far as the east is from the west. That's where our sin is. That he makes us as pure as snow. Second Corinthians says, I'm a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's what he offers to us. How about that? How about if we offered that in our relationships? And one of my favorite passages is Colossians, and I'm actually doing a, a personal study outside of my uh, you know, speaking stuff on Colossians right now. And I was surprised when I was reading through this, the audience that, that Paul is writing to, he's writing to the church, but then he also says in chapter four of Colossians, he says, and don't forget how you respond to outsiders, how you respond to people that are different than you. How you respond to people have different social economic, you know, values. How you respond to people that think differently sexually. How you respond to people that are part of different denominations. How you respond to people that have no faith. This is what he says. Put on then. You know what that first three words mean to me? I don't have it instinctively in me. That I've got I've to intentionally put it on. As God's chosen ones, that's who we are. Holy and beloved, compassion and hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together. Put on love. How would the world respond if we were making Jesus famous that way? That we demonstrated what a heavenly father did for us, that we, we did that in the world we live in. I want you to do me a favor real quick. I just want you to just bow your heads. And we're going to pray. But I realize that some of us in this room probably are still in conflict with the Father. There's been a constant tension between you. And, and maybe today, for some reason, just a word that, you know, from a song or maybe something that Caleb said or maybe something from the message today that it hit home and you realize I am in conflict with the Father. And today, just between you and him, not you and the person that you came with, you and him, that you would have a conversation with the Heavenly Father and you would say, you know, God, I don't want to be in conflict anymore with you. Maybe you once knew God and the conflict is you walked away from God. He didn't walk away from you. You walked away from God. 
And maybe today's the day you come back. Everybody in this room has a next step today. That's the one thing great about this message. Everybody has a next step. Everybody needs to work on the relationships. Everybody needs to work on the relationship on the human side and the spiritual side. Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, I pray, not words that I said, but inspired by your Holy Spirit today, that your living word would come to life, that people would recognize who you are, what you came for. You came to resolve the ultimate conflict that we couldn't resolve for ourselves. That's the sin conflict. And because of that, God, you give us a plan in your holy, holy scriptures of what conflict management looks like. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would be with us. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.